y'all feeling? Everybody good? Amen, amen, amen. It's a joy to, to be gathered together around God's Word this afternoon. And so uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, let me get you to turn to Mark chapter 1. So the Gospel of Mark uh, is in the New Testament, second book. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1. And as you turn there or scroll there for all you cool kids to scroll on, you know, your mobile devices or tablets, uh, let, me, let me ask God for his help. Let me, let me pray. Indeed, God, we, as we've already been saying and praying, uh, we count it a privilege to be together this afternoon. Um, we thank you uh, for how you've already been working and moving in our service already. We pray now, Lord, as we hear your word preached, God, we pray uh, that it would be uh, just that, that your word would be preached, that it wouldn't be any of my opinions or my thoughts, uh, but that uh, you would, yeah, that the word would go forth. And as the word goes forth, as I pray all the time, we pray that your word would do the work in all of our hearts, how you see fit. So, God, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you that we are saved by your word and sustained by your word and kept by your word and encouraged and refreshed by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would be comforted by your word, changed, equipped by your word. We pray by your spirit, through your word, that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Mark chapter 1, verse 1, reads as follows. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the word of God. Family, as we walk through this, we are, so this is the first sermon in our new sermon series through the gospel of Mark. And by God's grace, we are going to spend our time hanging our hats on this one verse this afternoon to set the tone, Lord willing, uh, for our series, all right? So a little bit of background on the Gospel of Mark is that Mark is the author of this book. Uh, he's known in the scriptures as John Mark, uh, as you look in uh, particular chapters in the book of Acts. But Mark is uh, the author of this book, and he is writing to Gentile believers of Rome, all right? Mark's theme of the entire book is found in this very verse that I just read, the first verse of the book, and that theme, and he's going to be, be kind of uh, threading that theme or kind of teasing out that theme throughout the entire book, and that theme is that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we'll see this theme, as I just mentioned, kind of teased out throughout this entire series, but the book reaches its pinnacle or its height, if you will, uh, with the famous revelation that Peter received. Do you remember that? That Peter received, that revelation that Peter received is in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. As it reads, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, 
You are the Christ. You are the Christ. So if I were to summarize this verse this afternoon, I would, yeah, do it just as the text uh, puts it. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If I were to summarize this or, or kind of, uh, you know, uh, unveil a main point, and it's, it's that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that this is the good news of the gospel. So I just have two points for us this afternoon, then I'm out your way. So point number one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We'll be looking at that from verse one, and we'll talk about the Christ, and talk about another title, as you see in the text, the Son of God. And point number two, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? We'll look at three subpoints. He lived in your place, your place and my place. He died in our place. He rose from the dead in our place. All right, so point number one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Look back with me at verse one. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that word beginning there in the text uh, has similar vibes to Genesis 1-1 or John 1-1. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Then John 1-1, similarly, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. I love how Dr. Danny Aiken from Southeastern uh, Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, in his Mark commentary, he puts it like this. He says, in thinking about uh, Mark 1-1, he says, something new and exciting has occurred. That's what that word beginning means, like something new and exciting has occurred. So we think about God in creation, creating everything. We think about John 1-1, like him creating everything by the word, by the son. Something new and exciting has occurred. And similarly, as we kick off this sermon series, think about Mark 1-1, something new and exciting has occurred. But better yet, someone has come. So that word gospel means good news. And we'll dive more into what that all means in the second point. But in this first point, as is posed as a question, uh, as the first point, I I, want to ask it rhetorically, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is the most important question that you could ever be asked and have to give an answer for. It's the most important question that you could ever be asked that someone could ever ask you, and that you will have to give an answer for. You get this wrong, and everything else crumbles. Was he just a prophet? Was he just a good, moral man? Is he just the big man upstairs? Is he the god of the white man's religion? Your answer to this is crucial. Well, as we study the scriptures, well, he, he, he was a prophet, but he was something greater. He was more than a prophet. He was a moral person, 
but he was more than just a moral person. He is more than the big man upstairs. He's running the whole world. He isn't just the God of white people. He is the God of all people who would put their trust in him for salvation. Have you ever walked up to uh, someone who you thought was a person you knew? Have you ever done that, like, being in the streets, and you're like, man, that look like Johnny or somebody from, you know what I mean, my hometown. Like, you walk up to this person, and you're like, yo, are you, are you Vante? Or are, are, are you Shanae? Then the person is like, he or she looks back at you and is like, nah, that ain't, that ain't me. Uh, and you respond like, my bad, my bad. Like, uh, I, I thought you were somebody I knew. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe I'm just alone. That's happened to me in my years uh, <laughs> where I've, you know, ran into somebody. I'm like, yo, you look just like my homie from the block, man. Like, but it ain't you. Uh, I believe in a similar way. This is how maybe some of you or people you might know or people in our community and our world mistake Jesus for someone else. We approach Jesus like, are you... And he's like, no, you got me mistaken for someone else, for someone you hope I would be that maybe resembles you, yourself, or some other made-up false god. Instead of looking to God's word and believing what Jesus, or who Jesus said he really was. When Jesus was before the high priest, giving a little way ahead of myself in the series, but it's okay, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus comes, he lives, dies, and rises from the dead for your justification so that you and I might be forgiven of our sins and be with him for eternity, right? But John, oh, sorry, Mark 14, uh, verses 61 through 62, it says, but he remained silent. So this is him before the high priest, uh, before he's about to go to the cross. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So when we think about who is Jesus, well, he tells us. He tells us right here. I don't know how clearer it can get. When the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. I am. And you will see me seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So let's define a, a few names and titles as we walk through this passage. And Dr. Aiken is helpful here once again. As he says in his commentary, his Mark commentary, uh, the name Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew Joshua or Yeshua, right? Which means Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus' name in the Hebrew essentially means Yahweh is salvation. Then Christ is the Greek equivalent of Hebrew Messiah. Messiah, which means the anointed one, the anointed one. So initially, the title Christ would become a common part of the name of our Lord. So I know 
Some of us already know this, but just saying it. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. Not his last name. It is a title. It is a title, and it's a title of a fulfilled promise. This takes us all the way back to creation in the Garden of Eden where God created the first man and woman in his image after his likeness, but they sinned against him, they rebelled against him, and then God judges them in Genesis 3, but then also provides a promise, provides a promise. And so in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. And from then all throughout, till we get to Mark 1, uh, God has been unfolding that promise or fulfilling that promise, right? He is bring, he's, uh, bringing it about. The people of God from that point were awaiting a promise to be fulfilled. They were waiting on a Messiah, a Savior. And so they were, and these are like typologies, and typologies just means uh, a type of the one who was to come. And so when you think about Adam or when you think about Abraham, when you think about Moses, when you think about David, uh, you think about all of these Old Testament figures, uh, they were types of the one who was to come, and that being the Lord Jesus. And so they were looking for a Savior. They were awaiting a Savior. They thought it would be this person. They thought it would be that person. It turned out not being any of them until the Lord Jesus until the Lord Jesus comes and fulfills the promise that God made as far as back in Genesis 3.15. And all the prophecies about his coming and the promises that God made, Jesus comes and he fulfills them. He fulfills them. So he is the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, and the Savior that the people of God longed for and who we so desperately need. So a quick application point, God comes through on all of his promises. If he says it, he's going to do it. So for us, even now, we can bank on what God has said. He doesn't break promises like we do with people, right? He doesn't, he doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. He promises it; he's going to deliver it, and we see that in the awaited Savior that we desperately needed. He provides a way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Our God is a promise keeper. So we can this afternoon be encouraged by that. And, and uh, yeah, find, find our joy in that and hope in that and knowing that our God doesn't fail. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't fall through the cracks on, on promises. So he is the Christ the promised Messiah, and as you see also in the text, what does it say? He's the son of God. He's the son of God. 
So this title is Mark's favorite title that he uses throughout the book. I love, once again, uh, using commentary here in defining some of these things. So uh, Son of God is a crucial title for the promised deliverer. It takes Christology to a higher level. Uh, Bob Stein says, Son of God reveals Jesus' unique and unparalleled relationship with God. It is the favorite title of Mark for identifying Jesus. Now, I'm just going to share some of these. We'll, we'll see this as we uh, walk through this sermon series, but just a few uh, references of Scripture. If you catch them, you can write them down. Uh, but So Son of God being his favorite title that he uses throughout the book. So Mark 1, 11, and verse 24. 3.11, the cross-reference from that is, is chapter 1, verse 34. And then 5, 12, 6, 13.32, 14.61-62, and 15.39. And when Mark was written, it conveyed to the Christian community the idea of both pre-existence and deity. Right? That God is, that Jesus is uh, preeminent. Pre-existence, like he, he is preeminent and he is deity and so we'll see that in philippians 2 6 8 colossians 1 15 to 20 so in short what this all means is that jesus is god that he is god that he is fully god and that he is also fully man so philippians 2 6 8 as one of the references that was listed above illustrates this well right it says in verse 6 who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So you hear this verse. So he's God. But although he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself, or some translations may say he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, or human flesh. Verse 8 continues, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, what we are talking about is, is Jesus being the Son of God, him being deity, him being God. Another example, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 15, it says, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we see in these two examples, you see Jesus' deity, who he claimed to be, him claiming to be God, and he is God. And then we also see his humanity. That as the text says here in Hebrews 4, 15, but we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. 
yet without sin. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This is what Mark is presenting to us. Off gate, off rip. First verse, Jesus is deity. He is God. And because he is God, once again, the way you answer that holds weight. Holds a lot of weight. If we... Yeah, if we get this wrong, as I mentioned before, everything else crumbles. So we need to, all of us, and, and the whole world, we have to have the right picture of who Jesus is. Have to have the right understanding of who Jesus is, and who he said he is and was, and for us as Christians as we present him, being clear on us presenting a Jesus who is deity and human and being clear on that and sharing the implications of what that means as we're going to look at in just a second, being clear on that. Y'all with me? Amen. Amen. So then that leads to point two. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Well, he, he, he did a lot of things. He did a lot of things, uh, like, you know, miracles and so forth and so forth. But the most important thing that he did, the most important thing that Jesus did for you and for me is that he lived in our place. He died in our place. He was raised from the dead in our place. And why? Why did he do that? Well, he did that because we are sinners. We are sinners. So, we briefly talked about this just a few minutes ago, but the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, uh, they sinned against God. God gave them a direct command. They disobeyed. They rebelled against God. And because of their rebellion, God judges them. But once again, he provided a promise. He came through in that promise. But he judged them. And every human being that's been born since then has been born in sin, with a propensity to sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. We were born with it, with a propensity to sin, a propensity to to hate God. And because of our sin, we all deserve God's wrath. We deserve his righteous wrath. That is due upon sinners. Judgment. Which would mean that we would be, if we were to die in our sin, be cast away from his presence for all of eternity. And when I say eternity, that's forever. Never to have another opportunity to receive his grace, receive his goodness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus came Jesus came, and he lived in our place. So this is the first one that we're going to look at. So he lived in our place. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and obeyed God perfectly and completely. So Matthew 5, 17, it says, and this is Jesus talking, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to fulfill them. Hebrews 4.15, once again, we just read it just a few minutes ago, but for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the application for us to think about in Jesus living for us, living in our place, is that you and I aren't able to keep the law. We were never able to keep the law. Never able to to keep God's righteous law. And the other application would be that we aren't able to please God with our works. So we're not able to please God with our works. It doesn't matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put in uh, to keep God's law or think that by what we do, the good things we do, that we can be saved or when we're saved, that we got to do good things to keep our salvation? It doesn't work like that. Biblically, it doesn't work like that. And me and Doug were at a conference yesterday, uh, the One Hope Conference, uh, and it was the theme was on justification. Uh, and justification, so justification by faith alone, and justification just means being declared righteous before God um, or being made right with God. And so... The idea is it's like a, it's a legal term in that um, Jesus has represented us before the Father and has uh, represented us before the Father. And because of his representation before the Father, um, God gives us a, a verdict. He gives us a verdict, but that verdict is um, that we are not guilty before him, that we have been declared righteous before him as a result of Jesus's work, not our own work, not our own efforts, efforts or merits, but what Jesus has done. And the beauty about it is that when we come to Christ, we receive his perfect record. We receive his perfect life. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we lived perfectly before him because of what Jesus has done. Not but not based on what we have done. And so we were, we were there, and it was, it was banging. One of the key verses throughout the conference was Galatians 2.16. So listen to it with me. It says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we were even learning this yesterday, but three times Paul is clear there that you are not justified by your works. You cannot be justified by your works or my works. But, so he says that three times, and then three times he says that you are justified by another person's works, and that being the Lord Jesus. So we have, if you have trusted Jesus for salvation, you and I have been declared righteous before him. Declared righteous, made right with him, right? Right, so, so where Adam failed and fall, where he fell and, and failed, uh, Jesus didn't fall and he didn't fail. He kept the law perfectly and completely before God. 
and he never sins. And so when we come to Christ, or better yet, when Christ comes to us and saves us, we are given his life. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a freeing thing. And let me say this really briefly. That's a freeing thing because guess what? Now that means you and I don't have to work for anything. We don't got to work. We're not, we not, yeah, we're not working for it. We're working from it. So, so God has already given us a, a record, Jesus' record. And we're not working for that. We're actually working from that. So I'm trying to free myself and free us all in here. And we cannot please God on the basis of our works. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible in the week. It doesn't matter how many times you pray. It doesn't matter how many times you attend church. It doesn't matter the good deeds you do. And I'm not saying don't do any of those different things. That's not what I'm saying. I think you should do those different things. But the difference is your motivation to do those things is not because you're trying to please God, but that in Christ, he is looking upon his son who has pleased him fully. And when he looks to you, he sees his son. And that changes the game. That makes a world of difference. So family, hear me when I say this. I'm preaching to my own self as well. God sees you in light of Christ this afternoon. He sees you. I mean, think about this, for example. You remember when, when Jesus was, we'll see this actually in a couple of weeks, but when, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, right? And it's in Matthew, you see this account. But uh, when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, before Jesus did anything, think about this for a second. Before Jesus did any type of work, anything, you hear a voice from heaven, which is God the Father, and he says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. You hear that? Y'all catching that? This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He, had, he hadn't done any type of work. He hadn't done any miracle. He hadn't done anything. But you hear a voice from heaven, God the Father saying, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. So for Christians in the room, those of us who are in Christ, the way the Father speaks that voice to his Son, for us in Christ, the same is true for us. He is pleased with you, not on the basis of you. He's not impressed with us, as a brother said at the conference yesterday. He's not impressed with me. He's not impressed with you. But he is impressed with his Son. He is impressed with his Son, Jesus, and what he has done for you and for me. So may we be encouraged by that this afternoon and freed by that this afternoon. So you are made right, I am made right with God only through Jesus' work. Number two, he died in our place. So he lived in our place. Number two, he died in our place. He died in our place. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Something I want you to see is that he sh shows his love. Some translations say God demonstrates his love. He shows his love for us. 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. That's good news this afternoon, that God loves us enough to send his only son, his only son, his perfect son, to die, to die an excruciating death, a painful death, the worst death, as history tells us, on a cross, hung there, bled and died for you and me. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse is, is known to be the great exchange verse, meaning that Jesus takes our sin, right? He takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. He imputes it, gives it to us, credited it to us, his righteousness. This is what happened in Jesus' life and his death in your place and my place. And because he died, we can now be reconciled, forgiven of all of our sins, and cleansed for all of our sins. Only God, you all have heard me say this often, only God could take the wrath of God. So it had to be God to die in our place. If it was just mere man, then we would not have salvation. But it wasn't a mere man. It was the God-man Jesus Christ who went to the cross willingly and willfully to die for you and me. And as I mentioned, he needed to be human to represent us before God, to fulfill a perfect life in our place, to walk perfectly before God. And not only that, so he lived, he died, and then lastly, he rose. He rose from the dead in our place. Mark uh, 16 I had to read this, uh, verses 1 through 7, in thinking about Jesus' resurrection. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had arisen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus got up, y'all. He got up on the third day. He lived a perfect life, a perfect sinless life. He died the death that you and I deserved. But he had to, he had to be buried and he had to 
be raised from the dead for our justification so that we might be declared righteous before him. He got up. So he rose in your place and he rose in my place, proven that his sacrifice on our behalf had been accepted by God. It was a sweet aroma to God. And it was accepted by God. And because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, you and I can be forgiven, made right with God, cleansed of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We can then spend eternity with him forever to be with him in his presence, worshiping him. So who is Jesus? That's the question that we've been teasing out over these few minutes. So who is Jesus? As I mentioned, was, was the most important question you could ever be asked or, or have to answer. And this next question is on that same level. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking, yeah, I'm not asking if, if, you know, your parents know him or if you, you know, grew up in the church. I'm asking, or you didn't grow up in the church, I'm asking if you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus, do you have that this afternoon? Do you have that, as I mentioned? So, who, who he is, and if you know him, the most important question that you will ever be asked and have to answer. So, do you know him? Not asking if you're a good person. Not asking if you've done good things in your life. You may have. But your good things ain't going to get you to heaven. The only way to heaven, and it's one way, and that's Jesus. It's through him. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me, him, Jesus. And so. Do you know him? Most important question. Because when it's all said and done, you, know, you remember even in, I think it's Matthew 7, right, where, where Jesus you know, says here, he says, man, like, you know, they cast out demons in my name. They did all of this in X, Y, and Z in my name. And he will say to them, I never knew you. Once again, not based on the stuff we're doing. It's not based on, yeah, any of that. It's based on a saving personal relationship with the God-man, Jesus Christ. So, if you know him, praise God. Praise God. And the only way that you do know him and that I know him is because God granted you faith. He granted you 
faith, he granted you grace. He saved you by his grace through faith. He opened up your eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus. The verse says, right, what, Romans 5, 8, while we were sinning, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we were living it up, or we thought we were living it up, we were sending it up, doing what we were doing, Jesus died for that. He died for all of that. And when we heard the gospel, in that moment, it clicked. And God saved you, saved me. But if you're here this afternoon, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you don't have a saving faith, I want to encourage you to think about what we have been looking at very early on about who he is and who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, which he is, then that means that if you were to die in your sin, that you would stand before him, God, guilty. Guilty. And cast away from him. Cast away from his presence. And we don't want you to leave out of these doors not hearing the good news of the gospel and not being able to uh, have an opportunity to believe upon Jesus today. May today be the day of salvation for you. May it be the day of salvation for you. So here's how you should respond and how we all respond. Repentance. Repentance. Repent, which is a fancy biblical word that just means to turn away from sin, to turn away from the things that God hates, right? And then faith. So repentance and faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in a person. Faith in Jesus. So repenting of your sins and then turning to Jesus by belief, by faith, trusting solely in what Christ has done alone on your behalf and my behalf. So we want to invite you to that this afternoon. We want to invite you to, to trust in Christ now, today, for salvation. If you would like to learn more about what that means or how to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, I would love to talk with you after service. would love to talk with you after service. Or you can holler at Brother Rick uh, or any, any, any of the folks leading here. Uh, love to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus and to trust Jesus and to live your days living for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So who is Jesus? He's God. What did he do? He lived in your place, in my place. He died in your place, in my place. He rose from the dead in your place and in my place. And our response, repentance and faith, soul trust, in only what he has done. 
alone for salvation. Let's pray as the worship team comes back. Father God, we thank you uh, for this time once again to, to gather, uh, to kick off uh, the gospel of Mark, God, and we thank you for the truth that is packed in just this one verse, that in the beginning, the beginning of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came. You delivered on your promise. You promised a Messiah, the Christ, the King. You promised him, and he came. And he came to save his people. So, God, we thank you that salvation is made possible only and in the Lord Jesus. And that you have saved us, not based on anything that we can do, not based on anything that we could try to do. You saved us by your grace, through faith. What great mercy. You are a merciful God. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve to be able to come together and, and talk about you, think about you, sing about you, pray, pray to you, hear your word. We don't deserve to be made right with you. But you did it in spite of us. You did it out of great love. Sent your son to die in our place. So thank you for that great mercy. And I pray, God, for anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you, that you would draw them by your spirit, that you would, would save them by your grace, that they would experience the same grace and mercy that we are all rallying around at the cross. We're all just a bunch of broken, sinful people in need of a Savior. And that's you, Lord Jesus. We want them to get in on this. So please, draw them by your Spirit. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray all of this in Christ's name.